For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. When your idea of worship is limited to singing, it's easy to think of it as optional. But worship is more than music, and it's definitely not optional. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah offers a reminder that worship is a direct commandment from God, and responding to that command requires more than you might imagine. Here's David to introduce today's message, The Sacrifice of Worship. Thank you so much for joining us. We're studying worship during the month of September, and uh, we have a wonderful uh, opportunity for you to get the book, My Heart's Desire. It doesn't happen to be the resource of the month. You can get it by going to davidjeremiah.org. There you will find not only the book, the study guide, but also the CD package if you're interested in following through and perhaps sharing this information with others. Our resource for the month of September is the calendar, Moving Mountains, the 2023 Turning Point calendar offered to you in September because it's a 14-month calendar beginning in November and uh, taking into consideration the challenges that we have had moving things around the country, uh, even by mail. We want you to have this calendar in plenty of time so you can begin entering your events uh, in the face of the calendar, which is prepared specifically for that. It's a beautiful calendar. You can hang any place and be proud to have it. Be blessed as you look at the grandeur of God's creative work. The Calendar Moving Mountains is our resource for the month of September, which means when you send a gift of any size, you can simply ask for it and we'll send it to you. Do the best you can. Uh, Send a gift that you believe God wants you to send and then just say, please send me the calendar. It'll be on its way before you know it. And uh, today we are going to talk about the sacrifice of worship. In your mind's eye, you see Abraham with his son Isaac and some of his... uh, staff, so to speak, with him. They're at the base of the mountain. Abraham's about ready to go to that mountain and offer his son as a sacrifice to God in obedience to the Lord. And here's what he says. He said, you men stay here. I and the young lad will go onward and worship. And I'll remember the day that grabbed my attention. What was worship for Abraham? It's the basis of our discussion today, the sacrifice of worship from Genesis chapter 22. As we try to sort out what it means to worship God, there are a number of terms that oftentimes get confusing to us. Sometimes we wonder what the difference between worship and prayer and praise might be. And I thought before we look at the 22nd chapter of Genesis, where we're going to talk about worship, we should sort out a few terms. Prayer is my occupation with needs. Praise is my occupation with blessings. And worship is my occupation with God. Prayer is saying, Lord, save me. Praise is saying, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Worship is saying, thank you, Lord, for who you are. I read an illustration that helps. There was a tenement building in the city of London that was on fire. 
On the top floor of that building lived a young woman. And in the midst of this spire, she was seen standing there by the open window, crying out for help. She had been trapped in the building by the flames, and there seemed to be no way out. Her situation was indeed hopeless until a young, brave fireman, encouraged by some of his buddies, took a long and risky trip up a ladder and at the last moment was able to pull her out of the window of that flaming building and rescue her from certain death. In the excitement of her rescue, the young lady forgot to say thank you to the young fireman, and so the next day she sought out his name and address, and she got in touch with him by phone, and he called her back, and they had quite an interesting conversation and decided to have dinner together, and they became very good friends. In fact, they fell in love, and later on, they got married. And the woman said that she never allowed herself to ever forget that this fireman had saved her And that had it not been for him, she would have been burned to death. But that now, he had become to her far more than a savior. Now, he was her husband and her lover and her lifelong friend. I am sure that you can see the connection. Just as we have cried out to God in prayer, Lord, save us. And when he has done it, we have said, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Now we have come to know him in worship as something far more than a savior. He is our lover, our friend, our companion day by day, and we have come to worship him and enter into his presence by virtue of worship. There is a law in the study of the interpretation of the Bible which is sometimes called the law of first mention. That law is quite an interesting study for anyone who is serious about the Word of God because the law basically says that wherever you find a doctrine or a word or a theme mentioned in the Bible for the first time, it usually can be understood in such a way that it sets the tone for understanding it throughout all of the Bible. And you can trace that through with many themes and find it to be quite accurate. If that is true, then certainly the first mention of worship in the Bible ought to be of interest to us. Actually, the Hebrew word is found in the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis where Abraham was entertaining three strangers and the scripture says that when he saw them, he bowed himself down. And that's actually the Hebrew word for worship. You will find that over in the book of Genesis chapter 18. But the first mention of the word worship as we understand it and translated by that term in the English language, believe it or not, is found here in Genesis chapter 22. And here in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5, you will find the word actually mentioned. Notice, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. That's the first mention of the English word worship in the Bible. And it comes in the most extraordinary setting in this mountaintop experience for Abraham. Because here is the moment in time when Abraham is going to bring his own son to God in sacrifice. And God calls that worship. As we review this familiar story, there are a number of things that it teaches us about worship. Most of us have heard this story hundreds of times growing up in the faith. But have we ever seen it as the supreme act of worship which God expects from all of us? Notice, first of all, 
that worship recognizes that God has spoken. In verses 1 and 2 we read, And it came to pass after these things that God did test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee to the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. As we have already learned in the early sessions on the subject of worship, worship is a command from God. It is not an option for the believer. Here we see God in direct communication with Abraham, and he is not only commanding Abraham to worship, he's actually telling him where to worship and how he is to worship. This experience that Abraham is about to undergo is not something that he thought up. This is not something Abraham imagined. This is God's idea. Let me say it to you as clearly as I can. Worship is God's idea. It's not something that we have decided to do in order that we can figure out how to get from the beginning of the service to the message. Worship is the idea born in the heart of God. It is his very passion. In fact, if you take Abraham's obedience to God out of this story, what you have is not worship, you have premeditated murder. If Abraham is simply going to the mountain to kill his son, then there is nothing godly about it as the most heinous act recorded in the Old Testament. But in response to an almighty God who has instructed Abraham and in the sacrifice of worship, it becomes holy ground to all who understand the term. It is important for us to remember, and we shall be reminded of it often during this series of studies, that the worship of God and the work of God are always guided by the Word of God. Worship recognizes that God has spoken, but secondly, worship responds to what God has said. Notice verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Now so often when we tell these stories and read them from the Old Testament, we get caught in the Old Testament setting and we miss the impact of what's going on. Let me ask you this question. What would you expect me to do if God directly communicated to me one day and he said, David, I want you to take your oldest son, David, and take him to a mountain which I will show you, and there I want you to kill him in obedience and sacrifice to me. What do you think my response would be? Hmm. I would call all my pastor friends to see if maybe I'm not interpreting this right. I would gather all my friends and say, you know, um, this doesn't make any sense to me. I can't really believe God would ask me to do this. And then I would say, Lord, I need two or three weeks to pray about this. But I want you to notice what Abram did. I can't get over the fact that he got up early the next morning to be obedient to God. There was no argument. There was no involvement back and forth between Abraham and God. The fact that it did not seem to make sense to him did not keep him from being obedient to what God had said. God told him this is the way he was to worship, and Abraham obeyed without any question. And the record is clear that in his obedience, God honored and blessed him. My favorite bookstore is on the campus of Cedarville College. While I was there, I found the whole section on worship, and I just kind of was looking through, and I saw a book that kind of jumped off the shelf, and the book's title is Worship is a Verb. I thought, what a strange title for a book. Worship is a verb. 
It was written by a man named Weber. And I pulled the book off the shelf and I began to look at it. And basically what the book was saying is that worship is not a feeling. It is not a thought process. It is not something that comes over us in a moment of emotion. But worship is an activity that we are involved in in response to what God has asked of us as his people. Worship is an activity that God wants you and me to make a part of our life. Worship is not passive. It is participative. If you are not involved in the activity of worship, if you are not worshiping, if you are watching everybody else worship, you have not worshiped. You have been a spectator while other folks have worshiped, but you cannot worship without the involvement of your own heart, without the involvement of your own energy, without all that you are entering into the process because worship demands a response on your part. And that is going to be very difficult for many of us who have grown up watching the performances that take place on the platform. We have come to church, many of us, all of our lives, and we have watched other people worship God. And it has never really crossed our mind that there was something wrong, except often we have left with an empty feeling because we have not been involved in the obedient response to the command of God. When God told Abraham, I want you to go to the mountain and sacrifice your son, he obeyed. And notice in this verse, all of the things he did. He got up, he saddled his ass, he took his two young men, he claved the wood, he rose up, he went into the place. All of those are action words that tell us that Abraham is responding in worship to God. Abraham teaches us that worship responds to what God has said. Notice number three, in this wonderful passage on worship, we learn that worship requires the best we have to offer. Worship requires the best we have to offer. I can't hardly read the second verse without feeling the tears come to my eyes and my throat kind of getting caught as I try to say the words. Take now thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest, and offer him there as a burnt offering. My friends, worship is not a cheap thing. Abraham was asked to offer to God his most prized possession, his own son. This son meant everything to Abraham. This was the son in whom all the blessings and promises of God were to be fulfilled. And God said, this is how much your worship is going to cost you. Take your only son and offer him to me. Someone has suggested that in order for Abraham to obey, he had to surrender three things. He had to surrender his intellect because Abraham was caught on the horns of a dilemma. It was to Isaac that God had pointed and said, in Isaac shall all of the promises be fulfilled. Abraham and Sarah had waited until they were almost 100 years old, the two of them, before Isaac had finally come. And God had been promising Abraham all of his life that he was going to bless him through his posterity. And now finally in old age, he'd had a son, Isaac, and he was a wonderful young man. And Abraham could see all the promises of God coming through Isaac. And then the next thing Abraham realizes, God is saying to him, take that son, that son that I promised you, and take him up to the mountain and kill him. And Abraham's sitting there thinking, Lord, I don't understand this. This seems like this doesn't make any sense. You tell me that my future is wrapped up in Isaac, and now you tell me to go and crucify my future? It isn't until you get to the book of Hebrews that you find out how he put this all together. And I'll never forget the first time that hit me right between the eyes. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, 
that when Abraham was sorting this out, the finally came to his mind that the only way God could be true in both cases was for him to kill Isaac, and then God was going to raise him back up from the dead. <laughs> you talk about faith. <laughs> but Abraham had to come to God in his worship and say, Lord, I don't understand this, but I know this is what you've asked me to do, and so I will sacrifice my intellect to you if I must. And he had to bring and surrender his emotion. It says in verse 2 that it was a son that he loved. He had to bring his emotion to God. And he had to bring his will to God. He could have understood what God said. He could have comprehended all that it meant. But until he took the first step toward Mount Moriah, he had not begun to worship God. And Abraham had to surrender all of that in order that he might worship. We have made worship so frivolous, so easy so light and you know one of the things we're concerned about is that sometimes our image of worship has been so tarnished because we have watched what is supposed to have been worship and it seems so unplanned and so lacking in excellence and so not what we would expect to bring to God and we look at that and we think is that where we're going I want to tell you that's not where we're going we want to bring to God in our worship the very best that we have it may not be the best that there is, but it has to be the best that we have. Do you know there was a day, some generations after this story, when King David came back to the very spot where Abraham sacrificed his son. And the Bible tells us that David wanted to build a place where God could be worshipped, a great temple where God could be honored and glorified. Do you remember when David brought back the Ark of the Covenant? And David then was living in this beautiful house. And one day he was sitting in his house and he realized that the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence of God, was in a tent. And David said, I don't want the Ark of the Covenant to be in a tent while I'm living in this paneled house. I know what I'll do. I'll build a house for God. Now the fact that he never was able to do that because God chose his son to do it does not diminish the great heart of David to build God a house and so one day he went to look for a place where he could build a temple or a house to God and the scripture says he found a place called the threshing floor of Ornan and he went to Ornan who owned this piece of property and he said I want to build a house for God and this looks like a marvelous place where I could do it and he said I want to buy this ground from you and Ornan said well if it's for God David I'll just give it to you and David said, no, you won't. You will not give it to me. In those famous words, which we have heard so many times over the years, they're recorded in two different places in the Old Testament. David said, 2 Samuel 24, 24, he said, neither will I offer burnt sacrifices unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. Do you hear what David said? I want to worship God. I want to build a place to God. I want to buy some property for us to build a temple to God. But I'm not going to let you give it to me because that seems too cheap to me. I want to pay for it out of what God has entrusted to me so that I can be involved in the whole act of sacrificing my worship to God. And do you know that some years later after David had died, his son Solomon built the most unbelievable temple to the worship of God in glory on the very spot where Abraham offered his son Isaac to the Lord. Isn't it interesting that this chapter in the Old Testament almost becomes the focal point of what true worship is. True worship is giving God all that we have 
And there on that spot where one man did it, God reared up a temple where people came to worship him. And they say that Solomon's temple was truly the most magnificent building ever built to the honor and glory of God. And you know what, folks? Someday they're going to build another one right on that spot. The millennial temple will be once again built where Solomon's temple was built, the prophecies of the scripture. And if you knew what was going on in Israel right now, it would just make you tingle with excitement as the preparation is underway even now to once again rear an edifice to the worship of God on that place where Abraham worshiped the Lord. What can I tell you? Worship is a costly thing. That's just kind of gotten a hold of my heart in these last days. I don't want to come to God with the frivolous things of my life. I want to bring him the best. It costs something to worship God. It's not cheap. It's not easy. And if what you want, my friend, is just to kind of waltz into the presence of God and just sort of tip him with your life and think that that's worship, you're in the wrong place doing the wrong thing because that isn't going to fly. That isn't what worship is. It doesn't meet any of the standards of worship. Worship is what we give God that costs us something. Some of you say, well, I'd like to sing in that choir. I'd like to be a part of that worship team. Boy, you know what that would mean? I'll tell you what, I hope it means enough so that it can really be meaningful to you. Because if it doesn't mean enough, you will never get the joy out of offering it to God. The more it demands of you, the greater the act of worship that you offer to your living king. Worship is costly. Let me give you number four. Worship retreats to be alone with God. Worship retreats to be alone with God. Notice what it says in the fifth verse. Abraham now is ready to go up to Mount Moriah with Isaac. The scripture says that he said to the young men who had helped him and had come along with him, he said, you stay here and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Why couldn't they come? Why didn't they get to be a part of that great moment of worship because it was a sacred moment. And you see, worship is kind of a one-on-one -on -one thing with the Lord. Even though it happens in a group, if it isn't your response to God, you're not worshiping. Abraham didn't need anything to worship God except Isaac, who was the sacrifice, the wood upon which he would build the fire, and himself. And he left behind everything that was extraneous to the process and together he and Isaac mounted the mountain and there they worshiped God. You know, it's interesting that we have to do that, don't we? If we're going to really enter into worship, we have to move away from all the things that get in our way. I don't know about you, but it's hard to worship in freeway traffic. Have you noticed that? I mean, we need to worship. We need to stay in very close fellowship with God. It's hard to worship in the midst of a shopping mall with confusion all around. But I want to tell you something. To worship, you've got to go yonder to be alone with God. You've got to get all the clutter out of your mind and heart so you can focus on him. And I want to tell you something. That may be the biggest task we have when we come to church because what is this called? The information age. We have so much stuff rattling around in our computers up here to try to get the screen free so that we can put God where he belongs. Takes some effort on your part. The cost of worship may be for many of us taking some extra time during the week to prepare our hearts so that when we come on Sunday, we can truly enter into a worship experience with our fellow believers. Amen.
Amen. Well, we'll have more about this tomorrow here on Turning Point. Uh, Before we say our final goodbye today, let me remind you that we have a new book that is being released in October, and this is the pre-sale time for that book. The book is called The World of the End, and uh, it is how the prophecy of Jesus shapes the priorities of your life. It's available now through the 3rd of October, and the pre-order includes a bookmark called Be the Answer, the A to Z Guide to Prophecy, 36 Terms to Help You Understand Prophecy, Five Prayers for Living in Uncertain Times. These are the other assets that come with the pre-sale order of this new book. You can do this through our website, davidjeremiah.org, and uh, we hope you will do that and help us get this book into as many hands as possible as soon as possible. And now we're just about ready to uh, say goodbye. But before we do that, remember, tomorrow is part two of the Sacrifice of Worship. If you haven't already taken time to explore our rallies that are coming up this fall, go to our website. There you will see the events that are going to take place in Raleigh, North Carolina, Orlando, Florida, Greenville, South Carolina, and Buffalo, New York. And please put in the back of your mind the possibility of going with us for our conference Caribbean cruise, December the 28th the 4th of January. I will see you here tomorrow. I hope you'll be here. We'll study the Word of God together and we'll be blessed. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, My Heart's Desire, please visit our website. There you will also find two free ways to help you stay connected our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of our 14-month calendar for 2023, Moving Mountains, filled with inspiring scriptures and images to encourage you in your walk. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions, available in several handsome cover options. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, My Heart's Desire, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society. If you want to learn more about the person of Jesus Christ, the book of Colossians offers an unrivaled portrayal of our Savior. And to help you understand this important book in a deeper way, Dr. David Jeremiah has created a verse-by-verse study called Christ Above All. This helpful book and album are yours when you donate $60 to Turning Point. And with an $80 gift, you'll also receive the Written Word Journal. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. We hear a lot about value in the marketplace these days, but the great Scottish medical missionary to Africa, David Livingstone, had a uniquely biblical idea about value. He said, 
I will place no value on anything I have or possess unless in relationship to the kingdom of Christ. In other words, he wanted everything he owned to be valued in terms of what it contributed to advancing the kingdom and the cause of Christ. The Apostle Paul had the same perspective. He counted everything as worthless except those things that brought him closer to Christ. Hopefully, we value what God has given us the same way. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God values on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.